Well, glory to God. Hallelujah. Please don't, don't let there be a break between what we've just been in and where we're going. You can remain standing or you could be seated or whatever you want to do. But please don't let there be a break from this presence because this presence is what we seek. It's what we desire. It's what I desire. I love the Lord. Don't you just love him? Just lift your hands and tell him how much you love him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not going to preach what I had planned to preach tonight because in worship, the Lord changed my plan. Has anybody ever had their plan changed by the Lord? He didn't ask my permission. Can you believe that? The Lord did not ask my permission to change the plan. He just changed the plan. Some time ago, I had two dreams. I don't normally preach about my dreams, but I know I must preach about my dreams tonight. Um, it sounds self-serving, and I don't mean it or feel it to be self-serving, but the calling on my life is to be an apostle and a prophet, and specifically to be a spiritual father and to help people understand the gifts of fivefold ministry. But it's broader than that. I'm telling you that so that you have uh, an understanding of where I'm coming from. For those of you that don't know me well, I pastored the same church for 35 years. Um, I've been uh, a church planter and by uh, our local ministry as well as others uh, planted six churches, some here in the U.S. and some in Russia and uh, one in Galway, Ireland. Why am I telling you that? Because your life is multidimensional, yet here you are. Here you are. I can look at you, and I only see what I see. I don't see everything that's in your life. I don't see your struggles. You see, your calling comes out of your struggles because it's in your struggles that you need a calling. And it's out of your struggles that you will have hope. And so when you have a hope, you are tilling the soil for the seeds of your calling to be planted. God does not call us to a particular work because of our family name, because because of our wealth, because of our position, none of those things matter. What matters is that in our despair, we cried out to the Lord in hope, and he heard our plea, and he gave us mercy. And what we didn't know at the time was inside that mercy that he gave you is your ministry. Paul said, therefore, Seeing we have this ministry, 
as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the things of dishonesty so that we might present ourselves clear to you with a clean conscience. Because all that really matters is I was blind and now I see. I was lame and now I walk. David said, I was in the pit of despair and I cried and the Lord heard this poor man's cry and picked me up and put me on a solid footing and he established my direction. So your calling, your purpose in life, specifically, purpose is broad, your calling is specific. The specific call that you have in your life is bound up in Luke 4, 18 and 19. There is no ministry in the New Testament church that does not find its origin in Luke 4, 18 and 19. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal those who are wounded, to open the blinded eyes, to preach jubilee. So that whole idea of what Jesus embodied that was prophesied in Isaiah 61, that whole concept Jesus knew he had to present it, but in order for him to present it, he had to be baptized, Luke 3. He had to go into the wilderness, so the, the Spirit landed on him. He was baptized, a dove, right? Then the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested, and then he returned from his testing in the power of the Spirit. And he picked up the scroll and said, the most logical thing he could have ever said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because it happened in Luke 3 and it led him into the wilderness and then he came out with the Spirit still on him. Do you understand that the, from the time that Jesus was baptized and the Spirit landed on him till the time he picked up the scroll, the devil's number one job was to get that dove off of Jesus. If he could just get that dove off of Jesus by having him throw himself down, by distracting him, by worshiping, whatever I got to do, I want to take you out. Because Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost and power without measure. So Jesus and the Holy Ghost came out of the wilderness. It wasn't just Jesus came out of the wilderness. Jesus and the Holy Ghost came out of the wilderness. So, you have a life that's multidimensional. And you have some aspect of trouble in your life. Does anybody here have absolutely no trouble in any way, shape, or form in your life? I'd like, could you just tell me? Well, have some kind of trouble. James said, is any man in trouble... What do we do? If any man's in trouble, let him pray. Because when we're in trouble, we have hope. And when we have hope, God calls us out of our trouble and gives us a purpose. So now, 
I already said I don't normally talk about my dreams, but one of the primary ways that the Lord deals with me is through dreams. Some of you might have that experience as well. So I'm going to share two of them with you because I believe the Lord told me to do that while I was worshiping with you. The basis for fivefold ministry that I'm going to be talking about is Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And in the first dream, it was just, thank you guys. It's so anointed. I appreciate you so much. Don't want to neglect to say, God bless you. Thank you so much. Um, in the first dream that I want to refer to, I was driving to the school where my wife teaches. She's an eighth grade English and history teacher in the public school in Brighton. Earlier that morning, I dropped her off at work, and I noticed a delivery truck in the teacher's immediate parking area, which is very unusual. You know, they just these days, you pay attention to panel trucks and delivery trucks when, when they're not supposed to be in that place, right? I didn't think anything of it except I noticed it, and I dropped my wife off, and I went home. And when I went home, I went into prayer, just my normal morning prayer. When I went into prayer, I could not stay awake. I could not. And I fell asleep and had a dream. And in the dream, I got back in my car, and I drove back to the school. And I parked next to that, that truck. I got out, and I looked in the windows. I couldn't see a driver. I was disturbed by that. I tried to shake the door, and I couldn't see anything that was inside. I couldn't get any inside. So I walked to the school, which was about 150 yards. I was headed toward the school thinking, I wonder where the driver is. I wonder where the driver is. And then I realized I was the driver. I had on the driver's uniform. And I had an armful of boxes out of nowhere in my dream. Carrying them like that. Wasn't hard to carry them. I knew I was the driver. So I walked up to the door and I pushed the intercom button because that's what you got to do now, you know. Push the intercom button. I was so happy because I was going to deliver these boxes. Yeah. I looked at the boxes wondering what was in them. And I saw letters. I saw an H. I looked closer and an O. And a P. And an E. And I knew I was bringing hope. And I had these boxes, and they all had hope stamped right on a big old block letters. I knew they were going to be so excited. I pushed that button. Finally, they see it's me. They let me in. There's a little entry alcove, and then you, go, you either go into the school or you go into the office. So while school's going on, you have to go into the office. So I went to the office to have somebody open the door for me, and as I was approaching that door where the secretaries are, the secretary that I know quite well, a wonderful person, salt of the earth kind of person, wouldn't normally behave like she's about to behave. She came to the door, she held it open with her foot, and if I'm right where Chantel is, she just says, stop. 
And I said, no, no, I, you know, it's me. I've come to bring these to you. She said, turn around and leave. And I said, no, you don't understand. I want to deliver you these boxes. And she looked at him and she goes, give me one of those. And she took the top one. And she never speaks like that. And it was so light. She goes, this is empty. What are you doing coming here in the middle of the day bringing empty boxes? And I said, no, it's not empty. These boxes are full of hope and hope is not heavy. Now this is all going on in my dream. Hope is not heavy. You have to take these boxes. My job is to give you these boxes of hope. She said, we don't have time for that here. Go. And I went back home feeling completely depleted. And I woke up out of my dream, out of my sleep. And I immediately wrote the dream down and began to pray over it. Fast forward a few days, had another dream. In this particular dream, I am entering a council room for the state council of a denomination in Michigan, a Pentecostal denomination. It's my job to be on that council. It is the Church of God. I served on that council for about 15 years, elected by my peers, one of 11 men, and we served on that council helping the state bishop run the programs for the 100 churches in the state. And uh, I entered the room where I always entered, and I sat down on the far right-hand side. I sat down, and uh, I knew something had happened before my coming in. This is really going somewhere. I knew something had happened. I'd been some activity, but I didn't know what it was. But anyway, I sat down. The bishop normally comes in and sits at the end of the table, the very end where he comes in. But this time, he came all the way down, and he sat right next to me. I'm here. He sat right there at the other end of the table. The other councilmen came in. They took their place. Behind the bishop was a big window, which isn't really there. But in my dream, it was there. And all of a sudden, I see that outside that window, there, at first when I looked, I saw you know, everything you normally see when you look out the window. Like from here, you just see the ground, right? But now I look, and the ground is halfway up on the window. And uh, one of my spiritual sons came to the window, and he was trying to tell me that the job I had given him to do, he couldn't, he didn't know how to get it done. And so I began trying to, you know, lip read, for him to lip read and understand what I wanted, and he didn't get it. And uh, so I started speaking to him, meaning starting, but I'm speaking to him in another language. I don't know the language I'm speaking in. I heard one word that kind of sounded Spanish. In school, I took two years of French, one year of Spanish. I get them all messed up. Bonjour, senor. You know, just, <laughs> just don't work out too good, you know. 
but anyway, <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> I'm speaking in this language just rapidly. Telling, he can't hear me. The bishop says, uh, <clears throat> Brother Shelton, we have a meeting going on, and you're causing a disturbance, which I typically do anyway. This is important. So I took the agenda that was in front of me. An agenda is a number of pages, all prepared. I stacked up my agenda, and I laid it down horizontally. Eight and a half by 11 sheet laid down in front of me. And I took my pen, and I drew a circle. And then I drew another circle, and I linked them together. And then above them, I drew another circle, and another circle, and another circle. And I linked all of them. And then I took another pen, and I put my hand, and it was like magic. <laughs> it was the only way I know how to describe it. My arm was spiritually animated, and I began to draw a big circle in the middle of them, and I let it go, and it kept moving. That circle kept moving, and I turned my agenda to my spiritual son, and when he saw it, he understood. Now, what he had been trying to do was to fire up a boiler in the boiler room and that there were several other boilers in the boiler room that weren't able to operate if this one boiler didn't work. But if he could get this one boiler to work, then all the other boilers would work. That's where I had left him. And he wanted to do it. He was eager to do it, but he couldn't do it. So when I showed him what it was, he got it, and he ran off to complete it. And I woke up from that dream, and the Lord spoke to me and said, study Ezekiel's vision of the wheel within the wheel. So I went to Ezekiel, and I studied again this understanding that Ezekiel had. I want to be very plain, because I don't want you to leave here and say, do you guys know what he was talking about? Because I have no idea what he was talking about. Ezekiel was a prophet. At the time that he prophesied, he was probably in captivity himself, and the nation was in captivity. He was not in a good place. He had a vision in the first chapter and in the tenth chapter, and they were the same vision. He saw four creatures, and I'm not going to go into the full description of them. You can read it, but I just don't have time. So you can read about the amazing, beautiful, a little scary, splendid, shining, glorious cherubim creatures. Each had four faces. And they had all kinds of things going on, right? And what you need to get out of that is that God doesn't do anything unless it's pretty and good. Right? He takes his time and he decorates it. He spruces it up before he sends it out in the world. And that's why it's taken you so long to get where you got to go. 
Because the Lord is dressing you up. He's making you pretty. He's making you shine. He's making you glisten. Everywhere we have a vision of something happening in heaven, it's amazing. There are jewels. There are precious stones. There are glass floors. There are pearl gates. There, and that's not just heaven. That's how he's dressing everything up. Because he made you out of dust. And he called it good. Just think what you're going to be when he's finished dressing you up with all that jewelry he's going to put on you. How many of you know I'm not speaking about literal jewelry? Don't have a problem with it. I'm just, I know that some people, when we use metaphors and analogies and we talk with imagery, there's always somebody that thinks we're being literal. I'm not being literal. I'm giving you an idea, a concept. God is going to make you and your spiritual gift so pretty. And you know it because you've had some times of prayer that have buckled your knees, that kept you on your face, and you didn't think you could tell anybody about what was happening. So I looked at those five rings, and to me they looked like the five Olympic rings. But now there's one superimposed over all of them. And I'm going to ask Dorian if he would put that image up. That's what it looked like. Only it wasn't that color, because I don't know what color it was, because I'm colorblind. I'm sorry I can't help you out there. Maybe the Lord will heal my eyes of colorblindness one day, and I'll be able to tell you what colors I see in my vision. I know it's colored. I can't tell you what colors it is. Uh, in my dream, that circular arrow was perpetually spinning, and it was black. It was darker than all the rest. In Ezekiel's vision, there was in front of each creature a wheel. And wherever the spirit went, which is assumed when you read the first chapter, wherever the spirit went in Ezekiel's vision, the cherubim turned and went with the spirit on these wheels. And inside these wheels was another wheel that made all those wheels work. And without that inner wheel, they couldn't function. Now, I knew this was about Ephesians 4, and I'll be quick. And God gave to the church some apostles and prophets and some evangelists and pastors and teachers. Years ago, we would draw what are called organizational charts. How many of you know what an organizational chart is? Or a flow chart. Churches were big on flow charts. We wanted to be organized like everything else was organized. So we put our squares or our rectangles and our lines and authority flows this way and that way. And in church work, I love doing that. I mean, I got a side of my brain that eats that stuff up. Oh, yeah, let's get them in categories. Let's put everything together. But eventually, it stops being spiritual when you start doing that, and it starts being organizational. And the church is not an organization. It's an organism. So you can't make an organization an organism, but you can make an organism an organization. 
When the organization comes out of the organism, the organization functions in spiritual life. When you try to make the spirit work out of your organization, everything you do is hard, and it doesn't bring forth fruit. Man, see, I never preached that before. I've never given anybody this sermon before. I'm giving you what the Lord gave me, all right? What does that make me? It makes me your servant in Christ Jesus. That's what it makes me. So, I know that those bottom two are the apostles and the prophets. Why do I know that? Because Paul said that the church is built on the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. For years, we were making our squares, our rectangles, right? And before I retired from pastoring the local church and just going into apostolic work, the Lord put on my heart, he said, don't draw squares anymore, draw circles. I said, okay. So I, I drew colored circles. And I asked my office manager, I said, what colors we got going on here? She told me. I said, great. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But I didn't have them interlinked like that. The next day the mail came. And in the mail was a leadership journal magazine, which is for church leaders. And in it was the feature article about organization for fivefold ministry. This is not a Pentecostal journal. It said, what we need to do is stop drawing squares and rectangles and see the ministry as a circular thing. Exactly what I had said. And in fact, inside was a circular organizational chart that matched mine color for color, wheel for wheel. My secretary looked at me and she said, did you get an advanced copy? I said, no. Weird stuff like that just happens and we just have to flow with it. I was praying about it, and the Lord said, the reason I wanted wheels is because everything that lives is a wheel. Everything that breathes is a circle. You can break life down to a molecule. It's a little tiny circle. Time may pass and look linear, but inside that arrow, inside that line, are a bunch of little circles moving it forward. So you can't get away from that movement, that movement, you know, boxes, Squares trying to move, don't do it, man. It's like driving down Grand River. It's like, pit, you know, all, all kind of holes in the ground, and it's just, it doesn't work that way, right? So, we're, we're circles. Your life, here's what I want you to get out of it. Your life is a circle, and you are not stationary. You want to be stationary, but you are not stationary. If you want to be stationary, you basically are saying to God, I am the Lord of my life and I have found my place. Everything else, leave me alone. I just want to do this. We don't like change. We don't understand change and we don't understand why change has to happen. And we don't understand why we weren't good enough to start with. And we get personally insulted when we are told that we have to grow and we have to change. But that's got to stop. We need to start thanking the people that tell us we got to grow. Because, you know, man, I'm telling you what, the people that follow you will always applaud you. And the people that lead you will always tell you what's wrong. Not in a harsh way. You know that. It's like, you know what, you're almost there. You know, come on, keep going. You'll get irritated at them. You'll get frustrated because you knew you could see it. Let me give you an example. Prophets in the Old Testament. Prophet, let's choose Isaiah. He begins to prophesy. And when you read the prophecy, some of it happens like next month. 
and then some of it happens when the Messiah is born, and then some of it happens at the end of the world. And you don't know which is which, and so it makes people just think, well, I just want to organize those prophets because they just are not organized. They can't just lay all this out like it's supposed to be. But you know how it is when you go down I-75 down to Florida or Georgia or Tennessee, and you come out of that flat land of Ohio, Ohio. Anyway, you come out of that flat land of Ohio that seemed like it took two days to get through, and you have to climb that mountain out there in Florence, Kentucky, and from there on through Kentucky and Tennessee, you see mountains. But when you start seeing mountains, you can't tell which mountain range it is. Because from where you are, they all look alike. That's why prophets are so maddening. Because they'll tell you things that are about to happen. But you don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow or next month or next year unless it's really a prophet. And then he'll tell you it'll happen in 27 days. And then you'll see it happen. Now, that doesn't mean that there are better prophets than others. It just means that we grow in our prophecy. So, those five gifts. I want you to look at it one more time. You see, because... This one links arms with this one and that one, but not that one. They each leave something out. The thing that binds them together is that wheel within a wheel. If that circular arrow isn't there, they're stationary. Somebody has anchored down those wheels and they can't go anywhere. The purpose of a wheel is to roll. That's its whole purpose. The only reason a wheel doesn't roll is it's flat, it's broke, it's bent, it needs to be thrown away. You're a wheel, and the Holy Ghost is in you, and that's the wheel within a wheel. And you have a gift that's moving inside of you because of your unique relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as the God, through the Holy Spirit, begins to fire your furnace up spiritually, which is why the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes a big difference, when you start to burn spiritually, when you know change is coming, when you feel something happening, and you tell your people, you tell your family, you tell your friends, oh man, I just feel like God's getting ready to, and they say, well, would you please just tell us what it is? And you say, I don't know, but I feel it. Man, I feel it. It's so strong. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I feel it. Listen, I know that there are blessed, precious, wonderful people that just need it written down, color-coded, organized, and put in a file cabinet. One of those is a spiritual gift, too. The gift of administration, the gift of organization, it's there. That's important. God bless you. We love you. Please do that, but don't get in my way. I'm rolling somewhere. I need you, but I don't need you in my path. I need you alongside me so you can pick up what I drop. I need you alongside me so you can see things I might miss because I get excited when I'm rolling and I get in a hurry and I'll just forget that I've got to pay attention to that over there or I'm going to run headlong into it until the person with the file says, hey, <clears throat> slow it down. And I'll say, thank you so much. You see, but what the church wanted to do for so long is I am the pastor and I'd rather you call me bishop. 
And all of you underlings, God bless your little hearts. If you would line up behind me, and we're going to give you a jacket to wear of a certain color that identifies your job in the church. Because we want you just to operate in the criteria that we give to you in that job description and nothing else. The only person who has freedom is me. That's right. I'm the bishop. And the only person that has freedom is me. Listen, that's a bunch of hogwash. We all have freedom or none of us have freedom. We all have liberty to roll where we're supposed to roll or none of us have any liberty. So what I want to do right now is to pray over you. I don't have time to pray over you individually unless the Holy Ghost leads me to do it. In white church... In white church, we end every service with people coming down front. And the reason we do is because if we don't get them up and get them moving, they'll just go like. So uninspiring. You go to black church, man, people are moving before you get in. I love that. I always make my white church people get up, stand up, move around, get some blood flowing, get down to the altar, come on, pray for one another, do some stuff. Man, you got to do it. White church will drive you crazy, man. Those people just sit there looking at you. You don't know if they got it or not. You don't know if they want you to come back next time. And then they'll come to you and they'll say, oh, that really touched me. And you're like, well, I could, you could have shown it. I mean, next time, do a little something. So here's what I want us to do. Can somebody move this for me? And, and I want you all to come up here with me real quick. I can't take time to prophesy over all of you, so I'm just going to pray for you as a group. Here's what I love about this church is your pastor's know what it means to move with the Spirit. Your pastors, Pastor Gail, Pastor Shawnee, Pastor Tim, the leaders of this church, they know what it means to flow, right? And they want all of this for you. Come on up, Shawnee. Come on up, Tim. You're with me. And here's just what I want to say to you. You're precious. You're delightful. You're so important and vital to the kingdom of God. And somebody out here is saying, I'm, it's too late for me. I'm too old. Well, why don't you let God decide that and you stay out of it, okay? somebody right now that's just saying man I've got too many things going if you knew my life outside the church you would think I would be disqualified because I got this going and I got that going and I got this and stuff on the side you know just like to get away with stuff you know God sees it all knows it all and he'll trip you up and let you fall down and then he'll come over to you when you call out in trouble and he'll rescue you and 
because you asked, he'll give you mercy, and then that mercy will be a ministry, and before you know it, you'll be rolling one more time because he doesn't leave anybody by the side of the road. He leaves nobody by the side of the road. Once you're in motion with the Spirit, you ever been going down the freeway, driving your little Yugo, and a big old 18-wheeler come passing you and cutting in front of you? And what happens to your car? You can barely hang on. That's what happens to us spiritually when the Holy Spirit says, This way. Come on, let's go. We're going to get caught up. Caught up in what the Lord's doing. Caught up in it. Flowing in it. So I just want you to say some things with me real quick, okay? And I want you to be thoughtful about it. And if you don't want to say what I'm saying, just don't say it, okay? I'd like for you to lift your hand as an indication that you're not white people who don't have any emotion. Come on now. I want you to say, Lord God in heaven, you are mine and I am yours. I give myself to you the best that I know how. And what I don't know how to give, I loan to you that you will begin to move in my life and set me rolling again. Lord, whether I am an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, whether I'm one with the gifts of healing or faith, or of giving, whatever it is I'm called to do, you don't have to explain it to me. I'm just giving myself to you. And I ask you to do that thing through me. In the name of Jesus. And now lift your hands up and say, bring it on, Jesus. Bring it on, Jesus. Bring it in my heart. Bring it in my life. I want to flow with you. Lord, when he was talking about dreams, there was something jumping in my spirit. Yeah. Just say, Lord, I want that. I want to I wanna hear from you, Lord. I want dreams. I want visions. That's the language of the spirit. That's how we know. That's the roadmap of the kingdom of God. Dreams and visions are the roadmap of the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it again. Dreams and visions are the roadmap to the kingdom of God. If you don't open up the roadmap, you won't know where to go. You won't know when to stop. You don't know when's too far. You don't know what your job is. You gotta have them. You gotta see them. Oh Lord, thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. How many of you know you've received dreams from the Lord? Can I see your hands? How many of you have ever had a vision? Yeah. Okay. See, we treat these as extraordinary, but really, this is, this is the culture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is 
a culture that has citizens and ways of operation. And the way we understand is that God illustrates it for us. Sometimes he tells us, but usually he paints pictures. And he engages our imagination that way. Because your imagination needs to be inspired so that you can think and feel and desire all those dimensions that I talked about. What God is trying to make a move in your life. So that little picture right there, the apostle's going to roll with that middle wheel, but so is the prophet. And if they're in the spirit, they're not going to bump into each other. And the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher, if they don't try to self-motivate, they will roll together. And it will be so beautiful. But more than that, it will be so productive. It will bear fruit. It's a mechanism. It's a cluster of grapes. Do you see that? That's a cluster of grapes. If any man abide in me and my words abide in him, he shall bring forth fruit. Fruit that remains. How many of you are tired of fruit? That disappears. You know what fruit that remains is? Wine. You can't make fruit last forever, but you can turn it into wine. And the longer it stays around, the better it is. That's scripture right there. That's right. So all of this is kingdom stuff, this new wine that we have. You just want it to happen, and you know, you know that God wants it to happen, and you've been praying about it, and you've been wanting to see the glory of God in your life and in your ministry. You've been wanting to see the handiwork of God. You've tried to make it happen. You've made yourself available. And yet, you don't feel like, if you're really truthful, that it's been worth the effort that you've put forward. So here you are again, a stationary wheel. And God does not want you to stop. Those little thoughts you've had in your mind about maybe it's time for me to do something else. No, not really. What it's time for is for you to just worship and allow this wheel that's inside of you to start spinning again. You don't have to make everybody happy. Can I say that to you? This is so important for you to hear tonight. Your job is not to be a people pleaser, but it has become your drug of choice. The high you get from pleasing people is unparalleled by anything else you've ever done in your life. 
But when you please those people, they'll just want more. And you don't have any more to give. So I'm going to take these glasses off of you. And I'm going to break that cursed, people-pleasing addiction off of you in the name of Jesus. I command it to go. You do not have to pretend in order to make somebody smile. You do not have to behave a certain way in order to make people like you. God is going to move in your life because he's dressing you up. Just let him dress you up and understand your beauty in the kingdom of God. It's just beginning. It's just beginning to be manifest.